you know, I'm going to speak the final message, not really the final, but number four of supernatural identity. Supernatural identity. And what I want to talk to you today about today is developing your destiny so you can live a supernatural lifestyle. Developing your destiny so you can live a supernatural lifestyle. Now, we've been talking about your identity for the last month or so, and in that, we've been talking about how to know what your destiny is and how to attain it, but there is such a key in developing your destiny to live a supernatural lifestyle, and I really believe this is kind of a catapult even coming into two streams this year because developing your destiny, who you are, Derek, destiny, in the Hebrew means roadway or pathway with a beginning and an ending. Our destiny is not to be completed on earth. Our destiny is to be completed in heaven. We're, I, I started writing a book, and Mark's been helping me with it, man, 10, 12 years ago, and we've been talking about it. I need to go back and finish it. It's probably a third or half done. But it talks about your destiny. It's like, what do you do when you love the destination but don't like the journey? <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Sometimes you just don't like the journey, right? It just don't feel good. It's just not pleasant. But you love the destination, so you hang in there because of the destination. And a destiny, every one of us have a destiny. We've been created, and I'm going to share with you where that comes from today and how we can operate in it at a higher level and a more efficient level. But we all have a destiny, but it's up to us to fulfill it. It's up to us to discover it. You see, I can't create my destiny, but I can discover it. I can't produce my destiny, but I can fulfill it. So we're all in a journey, on a journey on this planet, and we're here to discover and fulfill. And God is so cool and so fun, he doesn't give it to you all at one time. He'll give you glimpses, glimpses, and then it's up to you to know you're in his presence and following it. Because I love what Romans 12, 2 says, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That means transfigure, metamorphosize. Be ye transformed to prove what is God's good and acceptable and perfect will. God doesn't have three wills, three options for you. His will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And that's what we always want to walk in. Is that what you want to walk in? And what I want to do is, is, is unleash some things in your heart and mind, especially for a lot of the newer people. Thank God for all the newer people. How many of you have been attending Bethel less than three months? Just wave at me. You've been attending Bethel up here? There's more than that, right? Back here, y'all shy, I know. But there's a lot of folks. I still, yeah, I, I, give a hand for all these I need, to, I need to get to know these people too, amen? And we're just honored to have you. You know, I think when I think of destiny and vision for your life, you, you got to talk about Joseph for a few minutes. And Joseph uh, began his journey in Genesis 35, we see verses 5 through 10, where he had uh, uh, his first of two dreams. And, and this dream really talked about him being over his older brothers. He was the youngest of the brothers of, of the 12 uh, children of the tribes of Israel. And uh, he made a mistake, and he shared it with his brothers. And when they said, you know, oh, my goodness, he's, this little punk someday is going to rule us, right? He's going to reign over us. And then even his own father, when he heard it and said it in front of him, someday, you know, they're going to bow to you. And what I want to say with that is it angered them, so don't share everything with everyone. 
You know, there's some things you got to keep next to your heart. There's some things, and I got to watch that because I'm kind of like a sneeze marketer. If I love it, I'm going to sneeze it out somewhere. I'm going to share it, you know. I guess that's the preacher in me. And uh, we just need to also be very cautious and have people in our life that we can speak in confidence with and have wisdom and receive wisdom from when it concerns our destiny, our future, because it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone you come into contact with and in relationship with. Now, we see the story of Joseph, and you know that story where, man, he, he was, they threw him in the pit, right? And then he actually went into the pit. What happened? When he sowed into slavery in the pit, he came into Potiphar's house as a slave. He ended up running the house. Potiphar's wife tried to get him to commit adultery. He wouldn't, so he threw him in the jail. He had his second dream, and that's what brought him out of the jail and put him in rulership directly under Pharaoh to rule a nation in the palace. Now, here's what I want you to get from this story in a nutshell, because I'm not going to preach this message, but the first thing that he experienced was what? Prophetic potential. Prophetic potential. What did that mean? Prophetic can come through a word in your spirit or revelation, a revelation or a word that jumps from the scriptures. It could come from a prophetic word from someone else. It could come from your own dream or vision, right? And so what, is, what happens is when it's prophetic, it means that it's not of you or from you, but it's of and from God. And as we understand that, the first thing he had, he had prophetic potential, prophetic potential through his dreams, but he was immature. What did that lead him to? That led him to the pit. You see, whenever you go through life and you're trying to do all you can for God and be all you can for God, you're going to end up in a pit occasionally. And when he landed in that pit, what was that? That was an attempt from Satan to thwart or to to destroy his destiny. Satan's attempt to destroy his destiny because Joseph didn't choose to jump in a pit, but because of his immaturity, it made him vulnerable for the pit. I, oh, honey, I didn't mean to say that. Oh, I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. I, 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 I. That I is what gets us in trouble. Amen? And then from the pit, what did he do? He went to Potiphar's house, a very rich man. And what was that? A testing of his character. So you're going to, that's why even this coming weekend is so powerful. It's going to be such revelation, teaching, encouragement. But it's going to be very prophetic. And it's not just because someone gives a word, but in the messages, in the worship, every aspect, God is going to be downloading. He always does, and I know he's going to. And as we see that, you know, you go from prophetic potential, and then that's when God's going to not only, maybe not give you a a dream or a vision, you know, supernaturally, but he's going to stir dreams and visions in your heart, and you're going to need the revelation to discern what's for me and what's for now and what's for later, and what do I got to do? And then when you have prophetic potential, what you do? Then you experience your pits whenever Satan is out attacking your destiny. Then you're going to have times of testing of your character, doing the right thing. I love what uh, someone said up there. I think it was, yeah, Susan and Larry said they, they choose to do the right thing to the best of their ability because none of us always do the right thing. Can anybody say amen? If you think you are, you just, you're not even thinking right. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's very important that we understand that, that you're going to go through a testing of your character, things that you don't bring on your own plate. I know, was it, I don't know if it's Mark that shared this with me or if I read it, but it said that an average person would have two to three 
key relationships in their lives that would walk out of their life for a lifetime, over their lifetime. The average person, you might have two to three loving key relationships in your life that end the way you don't want them to end and those people leave your life. But for a pastor, the average is seven per year. Seven relationships of people we love. and We, we have people that's been in this church 20 years and leave. Maybe over the silliest things or sometimes they don't even tell us. Ten years, two years. People you do life with, people you love. And so Steph and I are always challenged, and the elders and anyone in ministry, you're always going to be challenged. The more responsibility you have with God, the more vulnerable you, vulnerable you become uh, to the testing of your character, right? And, and you're going to have to make a choice. Are you going to be offended and be fenced in, or are you going to be free and break those fences down and be persistent toward the things of God? It's your choice. Then what happened? After his character was tested, and even though he had great character, because of his great character, he was thrown into prison. What did that do? Prison, when you're bound, when you feel like you can't move or you can't say anything right or you can't do the right thing, but you know you're doing what God said and you've had good counsel and it agrees with the Word of God and you're just persistent in pushing through through the Spirit and the power of God, whatever you've got to push through, what is that? That's testing the patience of the promise. Are you patient to fulfill, to experience and fulfill the promise God has over your life? So what happened to Joseph when he was thrown in the pit, even though he had great character, it tested his patience of the promise. And you'll hear me, the number one quality I think I have is three, but they're all one. Persistence, persistence, persistence. I'm just too silly, too dumb to quit. Right? And, and the only, there are only two people in the world that can make me quit, God and Stephanie. Other than that, nobody else can make me quit. When she said, honey, that's enough. Stop banging your head. You need to change direction. Okay, Lord. Because it's like God just spoke anyway. Amen. And it's true. And so the prison, when you feel in prison, when you feel bound, when you feel you can't break loose from a financial barrier to do what God said, or you're bound in a job, you're bound in a family situation or a health situation, Whatever it might be, just remember, that's testing the patience of your promise. How real is the promise God gave to you? Do you even remember the promises God's given you over the years that you knew God said? And you have to sit here and think, well, I remember one or two, but there was a couple others, 10 years. You see, it's important to know the promises. And then finally, he ended up in the palace. What's that? When the dream and the destiny is fulfilled. So whenever you're walking in a dest your destiny out, to walk the vision and dream God gave you about your life and, and about what you're going to do for him on this planet, whenever that happens, be of good courage. It starts with prophetic, prophetic potential. The potential is you're the one that has to do it through the power of God. He's not going to do it for you. You're, you're going to face some pits. You're going to face some testing of character. You're going to be challenged and, and the patience, your patience for your promise. And then when you pass all that, you're going to walk in the fulfillment of the dream and the destiny God spoke over your life. Can anybody say amen to that? Amen. There's a little word when we talk about test, a little acronym I want to give you that, like Joseph, when you uh, go through some bumpy roads while you're trying to fulfill your destiny, cow, everybody say cow. cow. Everybody go moo. Yeah. I just see it if you were awake. C-O-W. The C stands for challenges and constraints. 
Whenever you're wanting to walk out your destiny with God, you're going to face challenges, and some of those challenges will constrain you. And there's nothing I hate more than being restricted or constrained to not have the ability to do what I know God wants me to do or say what God wants me to say. O stands for obstacles and offenses. Obstacles and offenses. Whenever you're walking out in this life, your destiny for God, and in your natural life, you're going to face obstacles. The key is, are you going to allow them to build fences to fence you away from your promise? Because you cannot walk in the fullness of God offended. As a matter of fact, you barely stay saved, and you're miserable, and everybody knows you're miserable, and it doesn't take 10 offenses. You can be in, living in one offense, and it's like a pulsating wound that's always there. You see something that reminds you of that person, you know, something said, or something comes up, especially with social media, right? And, and what you got to realize is you make the decision to be offended or to forgive. It's up to you. So whenever we see, oh, we're going to face obstacles in our life. How are we going to handle those obstacles, even when we fail? Are you going to be offended or when others we love and trust fail us? That's the greatest obstacle more than you failing. And then W represents weaknesses. We're human. We all have weaknesses. You know, I'm going to write a book on the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the things I'm really going to point out in there, because I love holiness. I was raised in holiness. I was raised on Wesleyan theology. And it's powerful. But people get confused with the gifts and talents that God's given us that we operate through faith and grace with holiness. Because I know a lot of holy people that don't have the power to pray the fuzz off a peach. I know a lot of holy people that, that have no power to release the gospel. That's better than not being holy. But whenever you get a revelation of his righteousness and you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, as you strive to live holy, you don't let your weaknesses be a barrier to what God told you to do. I don't know if that's scriptural, preacher boy. Well, then just tear David out of the Bible. Tear Moses, he's a murderer out of the Bible. Shall I go on? Tear Paul, he imprisoned Christians and... Tear Peter out. God even told you, he said, you're going to deny me three times. Even this evening before the nightfall, you're going to deny me. But remember when you come back, Peter. <laughs> Sometimes you have that experience like a Peter, like a Paul, like a David. And what I want you to realize is that, that we all have weaknesses. And we don't make excuses for those weaknesses because there is a price for those weaknesses. But we can't let those weaknesses or allow those weaknesses to deter us from the persistence of, of seeking God and seeking his will for our life and to seek why he puts you on this planet. Can anybody say amen? So we all have dreams and things and desires to do for the kingdom, but it takes time. It's a process. It's not a one and done, right? And whenever you're walking out this process, you're going to face some cows. You know, sometimes when you have the opportunity to be challenged, to be constrained, to face an obstacle you don't like, to be offended, or, or one of your weaknesses is revealed, just move. Move and laugh. Some, sometimes you just need to laugh at yourself because you're living this life thinking you don't, you're going to overcome every weakness. And, you know, there's a perfection in us. We are sanctified in Christ, but we're not sanctified in the flesh. 
Now, when you're at, the Bible says to be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. When you're present with the Lord, you'll be new and holy and all that. But right now, you got your goofy mind you're trying to obtain. It says, be ye transformed. In other words, it's talking about a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis doesn't happen all at one time. We are being transformed into the image of likeness of God, right? We don't make excuses for weaknesses, but we cannot allow weaknesses to become a roadblock from the promise that God spoke over our lives. Now, even Jesus had to grow. Jesus grew in four key areas we see in the Bible. Luke 2.52 talks about these four areas. It says that Jesus increased. Somebody say increased. That means he didn't have it all. We know that he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human, 100% man. And he laid his deity aside to walk by the Spirit. The only two people that had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit living in them and the baptism of the Holy Spirit before uh, Jesus rose again to the cross, right? And before the upper room experience was uh, John the Baptist and Jesus. God birthed in them by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and they were immersed in Holy Spirit. But in that, even though he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in the womb and he's walking as a human, he had to increase in what? Wisdom, the Bible says, and stature. Stature is not height. It's talking about his maturity, the stature of a person, the maturity of a person. So the Bible says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. Somebody say favor. With who? God and man. God and man. So Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Lord and Savior, our grace, what? He had to increase in wisdom. He had to increase in maturity. He had to walk in favor with God and with man. And you notice how it's God and man. When we get in favor with God, we'll find favor with man. Now, there'll be some men and women that won't give us favor, and they don't even want, I've had people not even want to give me favor and had to. And didn't like it. And grunt, growled when they did. And I just laughed and go move and go on. And I've had to give favor to people I didn't want to give to. Many times. So Jesus was always growing and developing. What would be any different with you? What would be any different with you? We see the Apostle Paul, that he was on a journey of growth, right? When he had his Damascus experience, when he came into contact with Jesus through a prophetic uh, impartation on the Damascus road, discovering his destiny, that he needed to be saved. And once he was saved, he believed in Jesus, right? That's what salvation is, accepting him as his Lord and Savior. Then he had an encounter. So at first, what he had, Paul had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, discovering his destiny through what? Prophetic impartation. He had two amazing prophetic impartations in the beginning. The first was with Jesus when he was knocked off of his donkey, right? And he say, said immediately when he did, and Jesus said, why do, you, why do thou persecutest me? In other words, what he said, when you, when you persecute Jesus' children or little brothers and sisters, you're persecuting him. So Paul, Paul, why do thou persecutest me? And he repented right there and accepted Jesus as the Savior. And then he had a prophetic encounter in uh, Acts chapter 9 with Ananias. And I remember, I, I think a poor, not Ananias the, the priest, but another Ananias. And I, I, I kind of have heart for Ananias. You know, Holy Spirit comes to him. 
and says, hey, there's this guy named Saul. Yeah, we all know Saul. We've been hiding from him for three or four years now. Well, he's blind right now because whenever he received Jesus, scales were put over his eyes. He couldn't see. And, and what happened? So he was taken to a certain place in a city. And what happened was Ananias had the great commission to go lay hands on him to open his eyesight and baptize him in the Holy Ghost. Now, Ananias is thinking about, whoo, maybe if he don't know who I am and he gets baptized in the Holy Ghost and maybe he gets a little slower healing and I'm gone. I, I don't know what he's saying. He's like, I don't want to go there. Because Paul had the troops, the power, the authority to have him martyred like he did Stephen, thrown in prison or whatever he wanted to do. But out of fear and trembling, Ananias obeyed. He prayed for Paul. Saul, and Saul at that moment became Paul. And he even had a name change. Not only did he have a name change, he had a destiny change. And, and some people teach that he went, first of all, we know that uh, he went out into the desert, the Bible says in Galatians. Uh, he went out into the Galatians 1, verses 16 through 21, for three years, just him and God, just the Holy Spirit, and experiencing the Holy Spirit. And then other uh, uh, people teach this, that, you know, some say he was uh, in training as long as 17 years because what happened was he went to the Turkish islands, an area where, where James, the brother of Jesus, was. He spent time with him. He spent time with Peter. And he kind of just ministered and stayed in churches before he was released to his ultimate calling and promise of being the prophet and the, and, and the man of God for the Gentiles. Now, isn't that funny with God? He takes an unlearned fisherman, Peter, to what? To minister to the educated Jewish people, especially the wealthy Jewish, the prominent, the political figures, and the high priest. He, he had Peter minister to them because he said, I'll what confound the wise with foolish preaching. You know, foolish preaching. Not, it, it, he's going to confound the wise with foolish preaching, not what we know or who we know. And whenever he did that, what happened then Paul, he sent to the Gentiles, the most educated of all. He was a Roman citizen. He was trained by Gamaliel, one of the greatest high priests, of, one of the greatest priests of all time. And his dad was a powerhouse, wealthy political figure at the port city of Ephesus. He had it all. And God said, oh, you go to the most unlearned, the weakest, and the poorest people. That's who I call you to. You see, we can't figure out God. We just got to agree with him. See, I, I, every time somebody has a problem with their faith, Mark, isn't it true? It's, they're trying to figure it out and understand it instead of saying, yes, sir. Yes. And then we'll figure it out as we go. Because if you said it some way, somehow, it's going to happen. I think of David, when Acts, I think it's 13 or wherever Acts says that God found himself a king, right, when he had to replace Saul. He said he's David. He's the son of uh, Jesse. He's a man after my own heart. He will do whatever I tell him to do. God didn't tell him to commit adultery. God didn't tell him to commit murder. God didn't tell him to run in fear and hide. But eventually when he's dealing with his cows and he'd be out in the pasture by the river and the brook and he'd write a great psalm and then he would come out of it stronger than ever because God knew whatever he went through, he still had to pay for those sins, uh, many of them, but, but he still did everything that God spoke for him to do in his heart. So even when you're facing a cow, always choose to do the right thing is do what God told you to do. Oh, somebody say amen. Hmm. 
So they're saying he was in a desert for three years with Holy Spirit and then also spent another 14 years in preparation for his destiny around the Turkish islands and other places. Now, let's look at this next thought I have for you that as Christians, our destiny is to walk in the fullness of our identity as children, as sons and daughters of God. What? As Christians, our destiny is to walk in the, somebody say fullness. Now, if I got a glass up here and it's a third full, that's not full, right? He said to the fullness of our identity as God's children. I want you to realize every one of, every child of God has a destiny to live a supernatural lifestyle. Every one of us. Because 1 Peter 2, 9 says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You're royalty. What? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood to do what? To show forth the praises of the Lamb of God and, and move out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every one of us are chosen and we're royalty. We have the royal blood of Jesus running through our veins. We have the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit living in you, able to do for you what you cannot say, what you cannot do for yourself. We have wisdom from heaven that when we need it, he'll give it to us if we'll be honoring to him and obey him and do what he tells us to do. God is not always quick, but he's on time every time. God doesn't move quickly. He moves what? Suddenly, all at once. And so we need to remember those little nuggets that you get here all the time. God has called every one of us to live. Every born of the Great Commission is co-mission. It's not the Great Mission. It's co-mission. It's missioning with God, with Jesus, the Great Commission. And as we begin to understand the Great Commission, we begin to realize that God said, whoever is saved and baptized shall cast out devils, lay hand on the sick. You know, uh, uh, no deadly thing, drink no deadly thing, and it shall not harm them, and all that. And what else did it say? It said they would go forth and preach the gospel with signs following, confirming. He didn't say look for a sign, he said leave a sign. He said leave a sign behind you. In other words, we are to be revivalists. What is that? Re, re, we are to represent Jesus or, and to re represent him to the people around us. We are to re-represent him to people around us. We're to release him. I like to call it leaky. You know what holiness is? It's leaking Jesus. Whenever Jesus leaks out of you, whenever his truth, whenever his love leaks out of you, when his miracles leak out of you, when his praise and forgiveness leak out of you, that, that's what really the gospel is all about. It's not about your calling. Or not. No, we're just here to leak Jesus wherever we go. Ah. Uh, so we, as we look at this, we're to live a supernatural lifestyle. It's revivalist. Jesus did not begin his mission or destiny until he heard from the Father at his baptism, right? In Luke 3, he, he did no miracles, no signs and wonders, delivered no one, preached no messages or anything like that. He had some teaching, you know, back and forth with the rab rabbis when he was 12. But other than that, he did nothing. He waited on God until he was confirmed from heaven, from his heavenly Father, that he is a son, the son. The first, the Bible calls him the firstborn of many. And the heavens open in Luke 3 when he's being baptized by John, as soon as he came out of the water, and God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Holy Spirit came down in the shape of a dove and hovered over him and covered him, and everyone saw this, including John. And once he was not only confirmed in his heart, but publicly confirmed and released 
by God. So a lot of things you're getting, God's doing in you, teaching you. I mean, I used to preach messages when we were dating to Stephanie at McDonald's. That's about the only place we could afford for lunch or dinner when we were dating. And or we'd go to a place called, what was that, El Chico's? Chi-Chi's. And we were in college, had no money. They didn't like us there because we, we gave them a tip. But the only thing we could afford was the free, notch, the free chips and salsa and then drinks. Huh? And, and Oh, and refried ice cream. That's the only thing. Huh? Ice cream. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. What she said. What she said. An ice cream. I got two out of three. That's pretty good, baby. So, so yeah. So, so that's what we did. We tried to give a $5 tip, but to them, they're like, you should buy, you know, $60 meal and leave a $20 tip. You know, but we but gave you 25%. Come on. Man. <clears throat> so, anyway, I own a few restaurants. I know how that goes. So, so anyway, uh, why did I get on that story? Oh, yeah, I would preach to her. I remember one time, this is crazy, Pastor Rod Parsley was, and this is my first year in Bible school, we were dating, and he was preaching, it ended up being a series, it's one of his best ever called The Open Hinge of Faith, and it was about faith. He'd been on faith for two months just preaching, Sunday morning, Sunday night, all this, and man, I'm, at, I'm reading the, in First uh, Peter, I think it was, first or second, maybe First Peter, where it's, Peter said they have the faith, the, same, the faith as we do, and talking about Christians, that we have the same faith as the great apostles do to do what God called them to do. And when you looked it up, it said equal honor faith. I said, man, we have equal honor faith just like the apostles did if we will believe for it. God's given us, and then it went on to talk about the divinity and Godness and all that stuff. And man, I'm just up there worshiping on Sunday night in my cheap little nylon suit, you know, what could I afford? And there, the altar was full, and it's a Sunday night, about 2,500, 3,000 people there. Pastor Rod, I felt him behind me, and I could just feel it the Spirit. The Spirit said, Pastor Rod's behind you. And I just kept praising, worshiping like nothing. And he bend over, because he's like 6'5 or 6'4. And his grobbly boy said, you have a word tonight? I'm a student. I said, yes, sir, and I just kept going. I'm like, oh, Jesus, give me a word, give me a word. <laughs> he said, well, go sit down after the offering. I'm going to introduce you. Sunday night. And so, sure enough, he heard, well, God spoke to me. I got this Bible class student. I don't even know if he can talk, let alone preach, but this, this Dalton kid from Eastern Kentucky, so come on up here, son, give whatever God gave you. And I got up here, and I went for about 10, 15, maybe 10 minutes, but I started teaching on equal honor faith. And I know it's good because pastor didn't run up and take the mic. He started running back and forth and shouting and screaming. And he's happy, so I was happy. Finally, I said, that's it. I laid the mic and ran around that great auditorium as fast as I could, all the way back around to the front. Because I was like, I ain't messing it up. Ten minutes, he's running and shouting, I'm shouting. <laughs> I'm a country boy, but not a dumb country boy. And sure enough, didn't he, babe, he got up and he said, my God, I've been wrestling with God for a week over this, that he's been teaching me that I, I'm to lay hands and I can impart the gift of faith and impart faith. And I've been, Lord, you have to show me in the scriptures because one of the scriptures I took him to was about not having fear, but how uh, the gift of faith, Paul laid hands on Timothy to stir up the gift of faith. So that's what I ended on. Man, he was going, and he started, he preached that thing for another hour about impart, and he said, get up here. He laid hands on, I don't know how many people that night, and it, it released it in him. But where did that come from? That come from obedience and being naive enough to just say yes. 
I was just looking for somebody like a David who says, yes, sir. Well, let me get this right and let me go pay my debt. Like the rich young, rich young ruler, right? God would have given, Jesus said, I would give a hundred times any man whatever they give away, on, even on this earth. But the rich young ruler, his heart was, that was his identity. Somebody say identity. He was a rich young ruler, even though he was very spiritual. His identity was being a rich young, young ruler, not being a, a spiritual son or child of God. And so what we're getting into as we're winding up or down, whatever we're winding here, is as we begin to talk about everything you deal with comes from your identity. The things you're scared of, frustrated with, really come from within you instead of without. People trigger it and things trigger it, but it's really in you. We, we Mark, I talk about others. We live out of the blueprint of our life, you know, how our parents believed and how we were raised or how we were raised poorly or good or whatever, and, and, and we all have a blueprint, and that's what we start with. Then in our life, we start choosing, do I want that or not? Am I going to overcome that? Am I going to learn something else? Or am I going to live to that standard or not? And we do it. But we also have a blueprint in our identity with Christ. And that's what I want you to tap into. Moving beyond the blueprint, you need to do the work on your own human soul and mind and what you, you deal with in life. But you also, the big thing is, tap, when you tap into your identity in Christ, the hope of glory, the manifested presence of God, then it gives you the ability to rework the blueprint in your natural life. Can anybody say amen this morning? Is this all right? I don't know if it's good for you, but it's good for me. I like it. Um, so we see that, and, and it was confirmed that he was the son of God. So this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, also in Matthew 3, 17, but it's also in Luke. And then too often people are trying to figure out what they're supposed to do before they know who they are. We're trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, what we're called, and where we got a hands laid on us, and we're anointed, and we, we need to do, do, do. What we got to do, Lord? What we got to do? But we don't know our identity. See, you operate out of your identity in Christ, just like going all the way back to Genesis 1, right? Your identity, even before you were born, was the same as Adam and Eve, right? It was what to, he said, I've created them in my own image and our likeness that we created them, both male and female, to do what? To go forth, to pursue, to take over, to be in dominion of the fish, the sea, the fowl, the air, and every creepy thing on the earth. In other words, to be in charge. Somebody say be in charge. And we know Adam and Eve blew it. And the second Adam and comes in 1 Corinthians and also Romans 5, Jesus, grace, came and he, the Bible calls him the second Adam, which gives us the opportunity to come back into, again, the fullness of our identity, not just some little hope would, could be, barely get to heaven by the skin of our teeth and the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. Said the hair of our head, we'd be in trouble, but hair of our chinny-chin-chin, most men can get a little hair down there. We can do that, right? Amen. I'm not far from Mark's haircut. I know that much. Lord, I've moved... I've moved, I've pushed, I've pressed, I've blessed. But I just got an ugly head up there, so I know it's, I, 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 I got to believe. Amen. Some things are worth wasting your energy on, right? So let's look at this. Jesus knew his identity at 12, but he didn't step into it until God confirmed him it's time. Our destiny walk in the fullness of God of our identity is to be conformed into the image or the imagio of Christ. Now listen to this scripture in Romans 8. I'm going to read it from the uh, 
Passion Translation. I love this translation. I usually use New King James or NIV. Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives, this is Paul, is continually woven together for good. For we are his lovers who have been called, somebody say called, to fulfill his designed purpose. Let me help you. It's not your purpose, it's his purpose. You're trying to find your will. It's not your will, it's his will for you. Purpose is made up of two Greek words, prothesis. Pro means before, thesis means a deliberate design. Pro means before, thesis means a deliberately designed or a set place. So you are to be walking as he has designed you before you were you. I'll give you a scripture in a minute. Just grab your chin and stop your head. Hallelujah. So we've been called what to fulfill his design purpose for he knew all about us, what? Before we were born and he destined us from the beginning. Didn't say he will destine you. He did destine you. He destined us when? From the beginning to share the likeness of his son. So you can never go wrong by knowing the image of Christ and living it and leaking it and sharing the likeness of Christ wherever you are. And then it goes on to say, this means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters with whom who will become just like him. This is what the scripture says. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself the word called, kaleo, legally summoned. He called us to himself, look, and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. Second hmm. Peter 1, 9, right? Whom he saved and called, not according to your own works or purpose, not according to your own work, not according to your own holy calling or works or purpose, but according to the purpose in Christ Jesus before time began. Not your own calling, but he calls you with a holy calling acceptable to the Lord, whom he has saved and called with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own purpose in Christ Jesus before time began. Second Timothy 1.9. So before time began, he knew you. If you're saved, you're called. It didn't say or called, it said and, right? Say I'm called. So that means you qualify. Say, I qualify. <clears throat> what? To become just like him. Hmm. Now, when we think of that, we think about becoming so holy and righteous that, you know, the rocks praise us when we walk by. We have no enemies. Everything's perfect. Well, I mean, people are trying to kill Jesus all the time. He was ministering to prostitutes and, and, and alcoholics and, you know, uh, thieves and everything else and demoni the demoniacs and all that. It wasn't like he's just around good people all the time. He's around good people too. But, you know, he dealt with stuff. He was perfect in that situation. And we have, what is righteousness? Righteousness is not an act of doing, it's an act of being. Righteousness means I'm in position, right. I'm in the right position. It means right standing with God. In other words, I'm positioned as a son. That's where the righteousness is. That's where the whole, now out of that, I want to become as holy and as pure and all that I can. 
But that doesn't affect my perfected righteousness because that has nothing to do with me. It has to do with my spirit being born of his spirit. And his spirit living in my spirit. That's what makes my righteousness perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'm perfect in his righteousness. And this old thing, I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's, an, that's a, a Gnosticism term that denom, some denominations use. It's goofy. You're not a sinner saved by grace. If you're saved, how are you a sinner? You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not a sinner. You can be a son or daughter that sins. That's an adjective. But the noun, trying to say you're a sinner and that's a noun, that's goofy. It's not even scriptural. You can be a son or daughter that sins and you will sin. You won't be perfect. But you can't be a sinner and a son or daughter of God. I know, I like it, don't you? Amen. I'm having fun. I love it when I just get into the Word like this and just teach. This means the son of the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him, having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his what? Perfect righteousness to everyone he called, whom he saved and called. Where's perfect righteousness? It was transferred to you when you were born again. Didn't say you're going to be perfect. The perfect righteousness or position or right standing is in you. Say righteousness is in me. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. Co-brought in. Say, wow, they're trying to make me equal. No, there's only one older brother. There's only one Jesus, one Lord and Savior. We're not that. But he loves us so much, he co-missions with us. God co-glorifying with his son created to be like God that new self he puts in you when you were born again what got born again you your spirit and that new self in Christ Jesus the hope of glory when you put on that new self and have him living inside you that new self in you is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness that's how it's mission that's how it's wired that's why it's What's happening inside you is greater than what's happening to you or around you. That's why no weapon formed out there against me can prosper if I know my identity in him. Romans 13, 14, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe, cover, wear him. Somebody say wear him. You know, you can recognize a person by what they wear, right? A firefighter, a police officer, etc. And, and we need to be identified no matter what we're wearing, whether we're a firefighter, police officer, or whatever, but they need to see Jesus, that we're wearing Jesus. Can anybody say amen? Um, I'm winding down here. Hmm. Trying to figure out what I'm going to give you last for the last five minutes as we wrap up here. I only got about, what, four more pages, three more pages. <laughs> So, the same way that we are to look like Christ, when people look at us, they see Christ. They see a Christanos. Christians were only called Christians one time at Antioch. And I don't want to get into all of it. I'm going to get into it some during the conference about Creo, the anointing, the Christ, Christos, anointed one, and his anointing. But we represent when we live out our destiny. When you are living out his will, his destiny for you, what he determined you to be before you were ever born. 
When you begin to tap into that, there's such power that will cause you to live more righteous and holy and cause you to love more and cause you to do more and cause you to help hurting people more, cause you to forgive others more, and so on. Our destiny is what? Not for our glory, but for His glory. And when we live in our destiny, what we're expressing our uniqueness and God is glorified. When's He glorified? When we use our giftings, calling, and passions for Him. If I painted, and here's something most Christians, here's why, why do you not flow in the power of the Holy Ghost even though you're baptized in the Holy Ghost? Why do you not lay hands on people and you've never seen anybody in your life get healed? Why do you pray for people and it doesn't even seem like they heard you or removed? Why, why do people not respect you and you know you're a child of God and they should be asking you for prayer instead of somebody that's not even saved to comfort them? Here's why. Because of the way you see yourself. You're matching up with the old identity instead of the new. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says to those who are saved, what? Become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. So we're, 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 we're identifying with the old you instead of the new you. <clears throat> How does that work? So if an artist, if I'm an artist and I painted a picture... But then I told everyone, even though the picture looked great, and I said, man, that portrait is awful. It's so ugly. Why? Because I don't have the confidence they will accept me, even though I know it's great work and I spent a lot of time on it, and I am an artist, and I painted a portrait, and it's really nice, but I make it worse than it is. Like getting ready to sing a song. Well, you know, I'm not really feeling good or prepared well, but I'm going to sing this special, and I know the Lord will just bless it. It was blessed before you were born. If you're called to do it, stop making excuses, right? So whenever, if I'm an artist and I'm putting down the work that I leak out or that comes from me and my effort, what am I doing? I'm devaluing not only the work I did, but I'm devaluing my position and ability to do the work. I'm devaluing my person. And Christians, so many times when God asks you to do something, to pray for something, well, I'm not ready. I didn't study. I got mad while I was driving the other day. Let somebody else visit the hospital this week. You know, I... We got to see ourselves as God's creation. And even when we miss it, we got to be like David, persistent, persistent, persistent to the point that we're going to keep on trying until we get it or we go to heaven because God told us to do it. Can anybody say amen this morning? We are what? To re-represent what? Christ on earth. What does that mean? We are to present Jesus again to the world. Francis Assisi, a great man of God in I think it was the 14th century, said that preach the gospel everywhere you go, even if you have to use words. Preach the gospel everywhere you go, even if you have to use words. See, see, God set you up that you don't even have to use words to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel, the, preaching the gospel is what? Telling the truth about Jesus. That's all it is. You can tell the truth about Jesus because what he commissioned you to do. You can tell the truth about Jesus, about the story you have of how you came to him. But whenever you begin to understand the power of that, that if you preach the gospel without power, it's not the gospel. Go read Romans 2, you'll find out. It's not the gospel. Hmm. 
Acts 1.8 says you will be my witness. The verse says you will be, not maybe or might. But it's a command, not an option for you to be his witness. His witness is not that you're witnessing, you know, who you are or your faults. You're witnessing who he is. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making an appeal through us. A couple more scriptures. I want you to get this in your spirit. John 20 verse 21. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, what? I am sending you. When he's talking about sending out the 70. He sent them to do what? Heal the sick, cast out devils, set the captives free. Mark 16, 15, preach the good news, what? Everywhere you go with signs following. So if you're preaching with no signs, you might not really be preaching. You might just be talking out loud. The great Smith, Mr. Wigglesworth, which is our great-great-grandfather in the faith, who was the father of faith to my great, one of my grandfathers, Dr. Lester Sumrall, was um, Wigglesworth, Smith Wigglesworth. And the stories about him are so powerful that when he would be on the train, he would just look at someone, they would be so convicted, and they would be on the train with him 30 minutes, and they would just start crying, and he'd never say a word, and they would cry more and cry more, and quit looking at me. What must I do to be saved? Charles Finney, the same stuff happened. They didn't have to say a word to preach the gospel. What's preaching the gospel? Witnessing about Jesus. Witnessing is more than speaking words. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said this in 3 through 5. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of, spirit, of the Spirit and of power. With your faith, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He's speaking to his church that he planted. Matthew 4, 23. I know I'm reading scriptures, but I'm trusting that you're going to catch it in your spirit. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus both proclaimed and demonstrated. Proclaimed and demonstrated. Here's what he said. Preach this message. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. Jesus said, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is here. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, free, freely you have received, freely you give. Well, I've never been free. I've never been given freedom to be healed of leprosy. I've never been. No, Dion, you nice, kind person, you. You intelligent, spiritual wonder, you. You have been given his perfect righteousness as a son or daughter of God with his markings, his anointing, his giftings, his talent, his influence, and his power. I did that nicer than I would have 20 years ago. First, Colossians 1.27, Christ in you the hope of glory. It's, it's really sad that we have to say the hope of glory. Should be Christ in you the glory. But even the writers had to say the hope of glory. They knew we're called to have it. We've been created to walk in it and to live it. Then let me read you this final scripture. I'm going to jump on down here. 
Let's see, did I skip it? Oh, I did a TPT on this. Okay, yeah, I want to read it from a t the, the Passion Translation. We'll pray. John 14, Jesus said this, verses 12 and 14, through 14. He said, I tell you this timeless truth. That means it's forever. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do. Didn't say you had to be an evangelist, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher. And then there's a hyphen. And he adds to it, even greater miracles than these. That's perfect righteousness or positioning in Christ, the hope of glory, to manifest your sonship, your daughtership, your family traits. Greater miracles than these. Why? Because I go to be with my father so while I'm with my father at the right hand, the seat of authority, he said, for I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask in my name. And that is how the son will show what the father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me, he says it again, ask me anything. <clears throat> In my name, and I will do it for you. <clears throat> notice the double announciation, but it wasn't the same. Anybody notice what, what, what it wasn't the same? Remember, you don't just read the word, you read the word. It's got to be revealed to you. He said, for whatever, he said, what? You'll do He said, for whatever you ask the first time me to do, when you ask in my name, I'll do it, right? Then the last time he said it, Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it for you. He's not only going to use you to do it for others, but he's going to do it for you. But how do you see you? <clears throat> Who are you? What's your identity? <clears throat> hmm. So we're getting ready to experience this coming weekend an uncommon anointing for kingdom exploits. We're going to experience expansion in every area of our lives for us, but also expansion that we can impart to others. God could have just said, you know, it's going to be Old Testament and you're going to be like Jeremiah standing in the sewers in the street prophesying to a king and a people who don't listen and the, <clears throat> the nation's going to be destroyed. <clears throat> But he didn't. <clears throat> he let you live in this time, this vessel, and especially in this nation. And whatever idiots says it's a bad nation, I'll buy their ticket and send them wherever they want to go. Because I'm telling you, this is the greatest nation on the earth. One of us believe it. Anybody else believe it's the greatest nation on the earth? England is thousands of years older than us, and we've sent out more missionaries than them or anyone around the world. We have more souls won because of our nation over 200 and whatever, 42 years than all the other nations combined. 
So you will measure this nation on what it is and what it isn't. You better be careful because you need to measure it by how, what God said about this nation and how God established this nation and not walk in fear of people and goofy politics and weird stuff. The news media frames stuff so stupid. And you better pray for Israel. We pray for Israel. We'll do that here in a minute. Because we've been engrafted into the vine with them. They are a family with Christians. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Anybody ready for two streams? Man, you need to invite some people. People that need some joy, some strength, revelation, encouragement. You need to come with your notebooks ready. You know, I, I, I don't write notes so much during service because I, I record it. It's recorded and then I pull it down and I get it transformed because uh, what happens is that I'll, I'll write and miss something. So, But, you know, get in here and write however you got to get it or get the recording and then, then go through it. But you want to get that revelation. Write down like Mark, man, the journal of what God told you, what God said. What did God say last year? What's he saying this year? Say it's time for expansion. Amen. Personally and corporately. When you expand, the church expands. When we expand, the body of Christ expands. Let's pray. First of all, Father, we want to pray for the nation of Israel, all the inhabitants thereof. Lord, we just pray your protection and wisdom over them, favor. We pray for all those in the way of, even in Gaza and everywhere that's in the way, innocent people, we pray for them too. But God, we know you have your hand on Israel and they're our brothers and sisters and we stand with them and love them and pray for them. And Lord, right now, I pray like Paul did, I pray you stir up the gifts that you put in us, God. That throughout these next seven days, you remind us of the calling and the promises over our lives. That God, if anyone's off track, living their destiny, some cow has got in their way, give them the courage to repent and let it go and to get back on track in their destiny with you. Let us be yes men and yes women. Let us see ourselves as your sons and daughters walking in your image, your likeness, your love, your power, and your grace. And let it be so in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, come on, give God a big shout of praise. I sure do love you.